0: Hey folks, I have two exciting things to tell you about. One of them is Libro.fm. Libro.fm is a URL. They are also a new way to buy audiobooks. This is the first time that a company has partnered with the podcast, and I'm I am the whole operation making the podcast. I'm doing the editing and the research and everything. So I'm only picking companies I'm legitimately really excited about. And what's most exciting about them to me is is Libro lets you purchase your audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. If you listen to audiobooks right now, you probably get them from one very, very large company. Libro.fm is different because they partner with hundreds of U.S. bookstores, dozens of Canadian bookstores, and a few more bookstores around the world. And this way you get that same exact audiobook, but the money goes back to your local bookstore, back to your local community. I've been a Libro customer since before this podcast launched, and that's because I want to support The Regulator, which is an independent bookstore here in Durham, North Carolina. You probably have your own like favorite local bookstore top of mind right now. You can use Libro.fm to buy audiobooks in a way that helps them. And they are able to offer you a coupon as like an affiliate deal since you listen to this podcast. The coupon code is SIFPOD, S-I-F-P-O-D, just like the the URL for the show and all the social medias and stuff. That code SIFPOD gets you two audiobook credits for the price of one. Those credits never expire and those credits can go toward any of more than 150,000 audiobooks in the Libro.fm catalog. Go to Libro.fm and enter code SIFPOD, S-I-F-P-O-D, at checkout to help this show and also help your local bookstore and get two audiobooks for the price of one. The other exciting thing is for patrons. I'm really excited to be affiliating with this company, Libro.fm. There may be other companies that are exciting too. I also think if you're somebody donating to this show, if you're somebody backing it on Patreon and making the entire thing possible... People who are paying to support this show should not hear sponsors, and we can do that. That's how it's going to work. So there's a whole new benefit for donors now. Everyone who supports the show gets a sponsorship-free version of the show, an ad-free version of the show, in their feed. And now that that news is out of the way, here's the show. The Great Gatsby. Known for being a novel, famous for being homework and a movie. Nobody thinks much about it except for homework, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why The Great Gatsby is secretly incredibly fascinating. Hey there, folks. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone. I'm joined by an old pal, an old co-host, a permanent Vana friend who I am so excited is on this show. Michael Swaim is here today. Isn't, Isn't that great? I think it's great. He was my colleague at the former workplace crack.com. We co hosted and co created a podcast called Kurt Vonnegut's, that explored the novels and short stories and essays and children's books and personal letters of the author Kurt Vonnegut. I, I assume people who know me know about it. If you don't, hey, there's an entire podcast you can just go here where me and today's guest dive deep on the works of Kurt Vonnegut, an, an amazing author that I hope people get into. Anyway, Michael is now making great stuff, especially videos. Full-time at IGN.com. You know, the, the, the massive, great video game website, IGN. He's also one of the key people over at Small Beans, and Small Beans is a comedy Patreon for videos and for podcasts and for a lot more, and I, I really hope you'll check it out if you haven't already. We go way back in doing this stuff, and I'm really excited that we can do it again in, in this new show and this new situation. Also, I've gathered all of our zip codes and I've used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Catawba, Eno, and Shikori peoples, to acknowledge Michael recorded this on the traditional land of the Ohlone people, and to acknowledge that in all of our locations, native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode, and today's episode is about The Great Gatsby, a 1925 novel by the writer F. Scott Fitzgerald. Also, good news, you do not have to have read the book to enjoy this podcast. I assume basically all of you read it for homework at some point and then never read it again or, or like picked it up once because, you know, maybe it's interesting to see again. If you've done that or if you're just aware of the book's existence, you're all set. You're going to love this. Also, Michael is awesome and putting his time into this and is also very busy. So I I discouraged him from reading the book in advance of this. I I did reread it just to be on top of it for prep reasons, but we're not going to do like deep textual analysis. This podcast is about how this short novel about a secretive rich guy written by a secretive like author guy became one of the biggest books in the entire world like what's the history of it what's the lineage of it how did this very kind of weird in hindsight thing happen so please sit back or stand in your yard staring at the green light across the way and here's this episode of secretly incredibly fascinating with my guest michael swaim i'll be back after we wrap up talk to you then Michael Swaim. It is so nice
1: that you're here. Thank you, man. Oh, man. My pleasure. Very excited to be here. Very, very excited.
0: I uh i figured, been wanting to bring in the right kind of book as a topic, and, and my old Kurt Vonnegut's pal, Michael Swaim, that's the guy to do it with. Of course, I ask every guest at the top, what's your relationship to the topic, opinion of the topic? How do you feel about The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald?
1: Well, Alex... In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me a piece of advice, which I've turned over in my mind ever since. <laughs> Memorize the oh, first no. line of The Great Gatsby, and folks will think you're deep. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, that has stuck with me. In school, it was like important to know the first line of The Great Gatsby. And I know the last yeah. clause, at least, is borne back ceaselessly into the past and i don't know why those stuck out at me i'm gonna rattle off my gatsby knowledge (laughs) i know it was originally called trimalchio at west egg because that's just a great fact and i know the the uh the bit i should have done which was the legendary andy kaufman reading it in its entirety to a dwindling audience of people realizing that this was the whole show i've never heard of that Oh, it's a great bit. Andy Kaufman went on stage once and read the entirety of The Great Gatsby as people just one by one gave up and left. (laughs) We're like, I guess this is the show. And by the end, he got so hoarse he couldn't speak. um, And people started cheering. And he went off stage and he came back with a phonograph of him reading The Great Gatsby. (laughs) He's a brilliant man. And so I've read it. I know that much about it. And I am very intrigued because you said this wouldn't be an unpacking of the themes of, you know, uh, lost love or holding a torch or whatever the class structure was in the 20s. I'm not fully sure. Um, So I'm interested to see what could be exciting about it beyond that, because it's to me just a book you read in English class and you learn the story. And that's that until Baz Luhrmann revitalized, (laughs) which I also haven't seen.
0: So I have seen that movie and mm-hmm. it's one of the rare, I, I didn't like rewatch it for this or anything, but it's one of the rare times when, like, you know, when they make a movie out of a book and you want it to like nail the book properly. And if they don't, that's why you're mad. Right. The the Boslerman one just kind of frustrated me as a movie. And the book part didn't even matter. It's like, it, it feels like it's all video game cutscenes. Oh. And it's a movie of The Great Gatsby. It's really strange and jarring to watch.
1: A little suicide squatty.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I only have one
1: question. Did they turn Daisy's green light into the green light of an IM message coming in? Because I, th- I feel like an updated Great Gatsby, that's the move, right? He's always looking at Discord to see Daisy's
0: green light is on, but he never rings her up. That would be better because the one, <laughs> to me, the one like big update is that they took Jay Z, who's great, mm-hmm. and they made him the soundtrack, but they only made him the soundtrack in moments. And so then you have a thing where like there's a bunch of 20s jazz being played, mm-hmm. and then Jay Z is played and it's just on top of each other. And it's really kind of hard to listen to in that format, yeah. you know? Like you don't need a bunch of crazy saxophone under Jay Z, those can just live apart, you know?
1: I saw the this cut scene, though, where Leo DiCaprio just nails like a nasty freestyle. It was amazing. It's a melding of the art forms. That's what Boz does. No, I haven't seen it, as I aforementioned. <laughs> No,
0: you've seen West Egg Eight Mile, and you loved it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's the situation.
1: Yeah, <laughs> don't miss your one chance to tramalchio. That's right. It's a verb. You didn't know to tramalchio. <laughs> it's to be gazed upon by creepy disembodied eyes in a disconcerting way. You've been tramalchio. <laughs>
0: And then I have that same experience with the book that you've had where it was homework. I, I couldn't really effectively Google if it's the same way in other countries, but in the United States, this has gotta be like one of the few books everybody reads in school, right? Like like because it varies otherwise what the curriculum is.
1: That's I always have to ask people about these two. Did you read A Separate Piece by John Knowles? Yeah, that was the oh. very
0: first book of high school English.
1: God, like, it was boring. Was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you read uh we get it. He broke his arm. Did you read <laughs> Ishi, Last of His Tribe? That's the other one I always ask. No, I haven't read that. Okay. What was your What was your other go to like assigned book? Did anything stick with you?
0: The only The only one I figure almost everybody else reads is Huck Finn. But even then, the language in it and the the racial elements of it, I feel like it gets banned mm-hmm. or left off by certain districts. Like this one tends to get through.
1: Yeah, we didn't. Maybe that was the swap out because Ishi, Last of His Tribe was like mourning the loss of native peoples. Oh. So maybe it was like a get with the times, swap out, <laughs> Huck Finn, you know. And we got one Vonnegut. I forget which one, but that's kind of what set me off on realizing he's the greatest author of all time. Yeah. But that's not this show. Oh, that makes me want to do that show again. <laughs> <laughs> He needs to write more.
0: What if the only material I brought is just how much better Kurt Vonnegut is? Like we don't even talk about the book or its <laughs> significance or, or anything. <laughs> just
1: in relation to, Kurt would have done that so much better. I mean, <laughs> there would have been an elegance, a panache to it.
0: <laughs> you get aliens in East Egg. You get World War II in West Egg. And then you're talking. <laughs> That's the book.
1: Billy Pilgrim has become untrammeled in time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, well, we uh, we can get into the things about it beyond... Uh, beyond yeah, Vonnegut.
1: yeah. I'm desperate for credible facts now. Please bring <laughs> some into the mix.
0: And on every episode, our first fascinating thing about the topic is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics in a segment called, Oh, I want to stats with somebody. I want to count up sums with sums body. And buddy. Uh, <gasps> oh! Wow. I'm here for one
1: of the best ones to date. I'm calling oh, it. Wow. I think that's one of the better ones so far. Although you explicitly say the less good, the better. So maybe that's an insult. <laughs> I don't know.
0: I love that. I, I feel it's both things. Yeah. And that was submitted by Andrew Duck. So congratulations, Andrew. Michael approves. Good job, Doug. And uh, we're going to have, have a new name for this segment every week submitted by listeners like you. Make them as silly and wacky as bad as possible. Submit to at SAFpod on Twitter or to SIFpod at gmail.com
1: also great use of the the extra sums squeezing in an extra sums i want to add sums with sums buddy i enjoyed (laughs) that internal pun
0: thank you that was a light edit i made i'm sorry andrew uh yeah oh
1: that was all that was all schmitty okay that makes sense
0: it's all he's the he's the guiding force you know he's the green light (laughs) and then i'm just standing there you know
1: Oh, so you're Gatsby. You're the titular great character. I see how this metaphor is wending.
0: Well, we uh, got some numbers and stats here. And the first number, I'm still processing it, I think. This number is close to 30 million. And that is the all-time worldwide sales total for this book as of January 2020. Close to 30 million copies ever sold.
1: Yeah, that's one of those numbers that becomes abstract. So you have to take some time to parse it. It's 33. Thousand, thousand is how I try to think of it. Yeah. Do you think that is, mo- or do you know, is that mostly up to required high school reading? Like, is that the sweet residuals place to be for a classic author or the estate thereof? Yeah,
0: it's definitely for the estate. Another, another number we have here is less than 25,000. And less than 25,000 was the... Total sales ever at the time of Fitzgerald's death in 1940. Uh, The book was published in 1925. So in 15 years of existence, they only sold less than 25,000 copies. And then all the rest is after his death.
1: I thought you were going to say, that's how many people have actually read it. (laughs) Because it's also one that you just have. It's a catcher in the rye, if you will. Oh, Um, Citizen Kane.
0: Catcher's another one like Huck Finn, where I feel like every school has it unless they've objected to elements of it
1: yeah if for some reason we it wasn't taught but i sought it out because i heard it was intense and it kind of is when you're a teen but that's not the point of this show <laughs> um, but it's amazing i'm always fascinated by people whose work comes to such prominence after their death like if you could go back in time and tell beethoven that cell phone ringtones would be going dun, 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 dun. and he. <laughs> thought of that (laughs) in one day in his life he thought of that that's that you just want to be able to communicate or hope that they know somehow um it's so interesting it also gives you a great ego out because i can assume my comedy will become (laughs) seminal i'm just failing now in life but eventually (laughs) oh i'll be john stewart of you know our generation after i'm dead <laughs> after i'm dead you understand um did fitzgerald generally have success in life or
0: not so much yeah let's that's a perfect question for a little bit later because yeah that's that's the thing oh okay ask. yeah yeah for sure I, I but i love that thing of going to beethoven or something like i wish i could tell him there's also a number here that it sells more than five hundred thousand copies in the u.s every year uh, like these days, not in the past, but like it 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 vastly outsells what he sold in life in a single year and probably mainly through high schools and stuff. Yeah.
1: And it's so interesting because I don't find myself referencing it in a pop culture way or a comedy way. I never find myself in conversation, rarely with people about The Great Gatsby, current situation notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> right. So it has this, I want, Yeah, I'm interested to talk about what cultural impact it's had or historical impact beyond just we all read it and we're like, yep, I've ingested that. We're all aware of the plot of The Great Gatsby loosely.
0: <laughs> yeah, in the U.S., we are just assigned to know about it. Like, not just in a school sense, mm. like in a deep sense. It's just like, that's one of the ones. Uh, USA Today also says it's been translated into 42 languages. So other other countries and cultures mm. have it. But I I feel like it's pretty specific to the United States. I also, maybe it's worth saying, I think this book is pretty good. Fitzgerald is especially good at turns of phrase and and capturing moments. And, uh, you know, and it's pretty brief. I feel like also it was not only a novel assigned in school, but it was the one that I knew kids who would say like, oh, well, that one I could I could at least kind of enjoy. Like, I hated all of the rest of English class. And that one was like pretty all right. It's readable and there's violence and murder. And sure, Mm -hmm. you know.
1: That one in Lord of the Flies, you're like, these kids are crazy. They're wilding out. They're killing each other. This is great. I don't know if you got Lord of the Flies. We got yeah, Lord we got that Flies in school, too. Early. And people yeah. were like,
0: yeah, brutal, brutal island life. Heck yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. I
1: remember everyone taking the exact wrong lesson, like playing Lord of the Flies at recess, <laughs> you know, as a response to Lord of the Flies. <laughs> like, it's a cautionary tale. Simon is Christ on the cross, dying in horrible pain. You're like, no, oh, I know. <laughs> But I have the conch, so shut up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and a a couple more numbers here. One of them uh, relates to school very well because it's the number five to two. That is the margin of a vote. It was a five to two vote by an Alaska school district to ban the Great Gatsby from their classrooms in April of 2020. Oh. Like this year, uh, they banned it uh, on the grounds of it having sexual references.
1: Five to two in favor of bannings, it was banned. Yeah. So in the era of everyone has a phone that just has the unlimited sum of all human knowledge, they're trying to make sure their <laughs> yes. kids don't read The Great Gatsby. It just feels like, stay down, man. You've lost. It's over. Society is way <laughs> past exposing your kid to The Great Gatsby at too young an age. <laughs> it's just seems moot. Right. Like, what are you doing? Worry about Internet hardcore pornography warping their, like, sense of romance or sexual intimacy. Don't worry about The Great Gatsby. (laughs) It's just (laughs) not a big deal. It's not what's corrupting the children. After this, I'm going to put on a virtual reality headset and pretend to murder people. That's (laughs) got to mess with me a lot more than The Great Gatsby. That's all I'm saying.
0: (laughs) Because also, this uh, it's a district, it's called the Matanuska-Susitna Borough School District. Uh, I learned that Alaska has boroughs instead of counties, so it's basically an entire county. Uh, It's a district that includes the city of Wasilla, Alaska, where Sarah Palin, among other people, is from. Okay, And they banned The Great Gatsby and four other books. I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings by Maya Angelou, Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, Catch-22 by Joseph Heller, and The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien.
1: Whoa, okay. So I don't know Tim O'Brien, but the rest give me a very strong and I don't know if Palin's hometown supported her, but they sound like there's a clear agenda there. They just don't like things from the vantage point of anyone downtrodden or saying that society is fed <laughs> up. There, that's my <laughs> yeah. one swear. I used it. <laughs> ah, it's good time. Yeah. That's very interesting. It's probably I have to assume a small population, so they can do some fringe stuff more easily than like major urban centers so i think you probably just have a very aggressive faction or school board or yeah uh, you know some movers and shakers who are like i don't want my kids reading catch-22 they might not sign their lives away to the military to the military industrial complex
0: and same with the things they carried it's, it's about like vietnam veterans and their experiences yeah so uh, oh, it's, okay. it's all <laughs> I, th- I think it's that kind of thing
1: what was the there was one that sounded really harmless sorry can you give me the list one more time
0: yeah the other the other two are i know why the caged bird sings by maya angelou oh, and invisible sorry. man by ralph ellison which i think i think we're both simply too black for this District is my guess. That's what I (laughs) said.
1: By harmless, I meant like positive fonts of empathy and justice. Like, you can't ban those. That's crazy. (laughs) We don't want to know.
0: This ended up getting national attention. And another, another native of Wasilla is some of the members of. Portugal the Man, which is a Grammy-winning rock band. That's awesome. Mm. Uh, and they announced yeah. they'd buy the book for any students who wanted it, all, all of those books. And then the following month, they held a vote that reinstated the books. Uh, because... That's awesome. Among other things, people think it's really silly to ban The Great Gatsby. Because like you said, it's <laughs> yeah. it's it was racy for 1925, and now it's 2020. so So it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> and then there's one last number here, and it relates to access to the book january 1st 2021 which is a date new year's day 2021 is when the great gatsby enters the public domain which i did not know until i was researching this it's like on the cusp of the public domain where it's about to get there
1: i would have assumed that it entering the public domain was the reason the Boslerman reimagining happened that's interesting uh, he could have waited what six years and just done it for free yeah uh, that's very yeah as a aspiring filmmaker who has no access to money i love public domain stuff and it always gives me like abe and i often talk about doing a dracula thing because you don't have to pay anyone dracula at this point is free game uh and there's a few characters like that obviously there's things you can't do like dracula doing certain things that are iconic to certain ips or franchises but my point is an old vampire Great Gatsby remake is coming soon <laughs> from us. That's very, it's honestly very exciting. I think there's a lot of things you could do with the Great Gatsby yeah. because capitalism and
0: statements on it are still pretty relevant. Right. It's even, yeah, it's even being released to tell stories about capitalism now. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. getting around it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It also, uh, it, it would have hit the public domain in the year two thousand. Uh, And and we'll have linked things about the Copyright Act of 1976 if you want to understand why. But it was going to be public domain in 2000. And then in 1998, the Sonny Bono Copyright Term Extension Act uh, extended that by 20 years. Uh, And so now it'll take until 2021 for it to get there.
1: Did that apply to everything? Did Sonny Bono champion, like, add 20 years to everything, all the public domain stuff? They don't get it
0: yet. Yeah, it it was any works published with a copyright notice and with copyright renewed. Interesting, which means basically anything anyone's tried to ever sell or or do anything with. Yeah.
1: I just wonder what rubric anyone uses to decide what's fair for humanity. Like, I don't know, after 200 years, do whatever you want. I think it should be 180 years. It's like (laughs) uh, it's kind of it's fuzzy, (laughs) whatever. It's all good. Right. (laughs) And yet huge lawsuits are based on the exact cutoff date. So if you're writing your great Gatsby fan fiction, just hold on. (laughs) hold on a little longer
0: oh also um uh, the great gatsby was published by a company called scribner in 1925 and they still own it to this day so it's been their top seller many of the years they've existed and and they're they made a graphic novel of it a few years ago and are trying to just like prepare they say for the for this now being something they don't own all by themselves
1: oh and do they not have another man that's so interesting to think because that's a major publishing house i've heard of yeah to think so many careers and so much artistic fulfillment and expression is just based on we got to keep moving copies of the Great Gatsby. <laughs> that's what keeps all this going. That's this building is made of Great Gatsby's piled on each other. Yeah, yeah. that's just crazy to think about. Or who I wonder if they have anything that's uh, waxing as Great Gatsby wanes, you know? Like if they got The Secret or a Harry Potter right. and they're like, this is our new. You know, we can transition. That's just crazy because thinking of having several friends who are novelists, they exist in this sort of universe of, look, there's Stephen King and then there's the occasional self-help book like The Secret that just dominates all culture for some reason, right. or the occasional autobiography where someone lies on Oprah and that dominates for some <laughs> reason. And then there's like thousands and thousands of writers who just sell a couple thousand books. Yeah. Always. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, man, I that would be cool even to go back in time and tell F. Scott Fitzgerald how many authors would eat off of The Great Gatsby, you know? That's touching in a way.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because also Scribner apparently got bought by Simon & Schuster, which is another big house. But, like, that business and then the business above it, like you say, they've probably been able to take so many risks and try so many things because they just had, like— gatsby swimming pool of money from the gatsby (laughs) book like in case they needed to fall back on it
1: (laughs) the book that begat thousands of more books that's cool yeah
0: and we have three big takeaways about it let's go into takeaway number one during f scott fitzgerald's life everyone thought the great gatsby was when fitzgerald's career fell apart oh it was uh it's a really and it took researching it to find out that like At best, people thought The Great Gatsby was a somewhat okay book that failed commercially completely and like took a very promising and huge author off the rails and and messed up their life.
1: How cool would it have been, I'm sorry, I know this is adjacent observation, but how cool would it have been to live at a time when... A book coming out by a famous author was like a new Tarantino movie coming out, where everyone, yeah, around the yeah. water cooler was like, "The new, have you read that new Gatsby thing?" Yeah, I didn't like it that much. I thought it was overhyped or whatever. It would that, just to have such a focus on books would be so great (laughs) you don't get that these days um totally but yeah what went into why did people feel it jumped the shark is it just hard sales like it didn't make sales so we guess it fell apart and did he have successes after that
0: so he the super short version is yeah the reviews were just okay the sales were considered disastrous and then he never he barely wrote anything else the whole rest of his life uh, give it, considering how much he had done before this book. Uh, and, and for multiple reasons, he, he just was not uh, as productive anymore after this. Man. Yeah. And also in the, in the run up to it, uh, Fitzgerald became famous by writing two other novels before it. And his first two novels were huge successes. Uh, one of them was called this side of paradise in 1920. And then the second one was called the beautiful and the damned in 1922. Uh, and they are both books about like jazz age, fancy people loving and living hard. It's it's like not that different from The Great Gatsby uh, from uh. what I can tell, but it's, it's that same zone, you know?
1: Okay, so maybe his thing had run its course for all we know, but that's still a pretty good stint, I would say. Three major pieces uh, on a theme. Yeah. The idea that a career fell apart at a certain point, I always wonder what that's about because, (laughs) knock on wood, that hasn't happened to me. I haven't hit a period (laughs) where I suddenly had writer's block forever. Like, it it never went away. Um, But I do know artists retire. It's weird. As an artist who's mid my thing, I think you'd probably agree. I can't imagine. I feel like most people in the arts imagine they'll do it till they die. So it's weird when someone stops, even after a commercial
0: failure. Yeah, and he... And, and you're doing great. And, and also, he, <laughs> right you, uh, he did like keep working. It's just he only ended up, ended up writing. And when I say only, it's very hard to write a novel. But he wrote one other novel. And then there was another one that was almost done and published after his death. But mm-hmm. he died at age 44 in 1940. Uh, it seems like from a mix of like lifelong alcoholism, and then also tuberculosis uh, and then also mental stress and and fatigue and everything else. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things piled up to uh, end his life You know, relatively young. Yeah. He also wrote a few other uh, short stories that were very popular before The Great Gatsby. He wrote one called The Curious Case of Benjamin Button that is now a major motion picture and, and all oh, kinds that's of other right. things. Uh, and he also wrote one called The Diamond as Big as the Ritz that is a pretty wild, like almost sci-fi story where someone has a diamond that's the size of a mountain. And then uh, there's a bunch of like conspiracy and cover up about it. It's it's pretty fun. And he apparently uh, scholars have looked at Fitzgerald's tax returns, and in the run up to the Great Gatsby, he was earning the modern equivalent of three hundred thousand dollars a year as a, as a writer, like wow. just from hugely successful books and short stories and everything else.
1: Yet he only paid seven hundred and fifty dollars in taxes, (laughs) which at that time was more than enough. He was very responsible.
0: (laughs) I never thought of it that way. If you bring that headline far enough back into the past, it's like, what a generous man. Wow.
1: (laughs) This French nobleman paid seven hundred and fifty francs in taxes. Wow. He didn't have to do anything. He rules by divine right. (laughs) But sorry, you were saying.
0: No, yeah. But uh, so Fitzgerald was like famous and successful and seen as you're right on about it. Like it's almost that thing of Tarantino has a new movie coming. It's like, oh, Fitzgerald, this really Mm -hmm. promising, already successful young writer has a new book coming. Like we should check out The Great Gatsby. He proceeded to sell only about 20,000 copies that first year. He then uh, had a lot of reviews that were mostly not good. A newspaper called The New York World, one of the major New York papers, their headline was Fitzgerald's latest uh, dud was the headline. Wow. Like, they just went for it.
1: Yeah, this this movie sucks. Says Roger Ebert. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah,
0: and and we'll link more quotes from critics. Like H.L. Mencken called it, "quote No more than a glorified anecdote."
1: Mm-hmm. That's kind of true. Uh,
0: other people said it was like not the work of a wise and mature novelist. Like they really panned it pretty hard.
1: That's crazy. So. Why aren't I always wonder about stuff like this? Why aren't we taught the brave and the damned or whatever it was in school? Right. What machinations of culture decide this one is going to be stuck in the public consciousness forever and ever? And we don't care what the reviews said. Everyone thinks, oh, yeah, that's one of the best books ever written. Not in a way where you believe that passionately. But it just is, you know, yeah. just like Citizen Kane in the in the world of filmmaking. And Citizen Kane is very good, but still, it's just in that rarefied air. And I know you, I assume you can't answer that because you're not a damn wizard. Oh, no, I used my second swear. <laughs> but uh, it's fascinating to me how we select art that bego- goes beyond just art like a Beatles level. You know what I mean? It's remembered for or yeah, Beethoven is more apt. Remembered for a thousand years versus a couple hundred. Yeah. There's like this stratosphere of art and I feel like The Great Gatsby made it and I have no idea why. Cuz I bet I bet the reviewers on the whole are not terribly off like I bet his other books are have more pizzazz or something to them. <laughs> there's probably a reason that the majority opinion was that way and yet we're like no, ride or die, The Great Gatsby forever. Our children will know Daisy
0: Right, and we don't read his other novels about rich Jazz Age people. He also coined the term the Jazz Age with a short story collection called Tales of the Jazz Age. So he was like, really doing well, but we picked this one and not the other ones. We're like, no, those other very similar novels don't do it. Forget it. I think we
1: read Diamond as Big as the Ritz as well, but that's the only other one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like you say, there's no way to know exactly how it flipped, but... Um, There's an article here from NPR, which it's called How Gatsby Went from a Moldering Flop to a Great American Novel. It's by Maureen Corrigan, who's a a literary scholar. And she says that one reason the reviews were bad is that people reviewed it with the, the perspective of this is a crime novel. So let's think of it like a crime novel, which to us feels nuts because we received the book in a classroom. This is a great
1: know? novel right. full of symbols is what we're told. Yeah, like ingest this novel in an intellectual way, which feels, which it bears up against. Right. That's what it does have going for it. As a crime novel, you're just like, who's Gatsby? Uh, he's this lonely guy. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that right. interesting as a who done it or who is it.
0: Yeah, because also Fitzgerald has Nick Carraway just tell you his background, like partway through, and then the rest of the mm-hmm. book happens. Like it's not, it doesn't, it's not a mystery. Like it's the, <laughs> it's a book where there's some murder and like a, a car accident and some bootleggers and things. But this scholar, Maureen Corrigan says that like, it was pretty sexually explicit for 1925. And with all the violence and car crashes on top of it, people thought, oh, okay, this is like Fitzgerald doing some kind of pulp novel. I guess, is it a fun pulp novel? Not in particular. Bad book.
1: Oh wow! Because even as chi- as a child, I didn't scan it as racy or edgy at all. So it's interesting to think, yeah, <laughs> that it was almost Tarantino esque, where they're like, "Well, there's so much like TNA and blood spraying everywhere. I don't know what he's doing." <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> what book are you talking about? The Great Gatsby. <laughs> that's that's crazy. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but I mean, times change. I can see. If you thought that he was going for a really titillating roller coaster ride, I think the middle would be like, this is very contemplative for a roller coaster ride. It's the kind of book that reads well when you're forced to read it.
0: <laughs> That's very
1: true. I don't know that it begs to be read page to page. It's not like. I have to know what's going to happen with Nick Carraway, who is like the protagonist, but is not the main character, so to speak. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I think it it benefits from being taught as an academic exercise. So that might be why it found its fit in academia, you know?
0: Yeah, right. It's like not for what the audience thought it would be. There's a, a great New Yorker article by David Denby where he talks about how Fitzgerald felt. And Fitzgerald had a friend named Edmund Wilson, and he wrote him a letter and said... Of all the reviews, even the most enthusiastic, not one had the slightest idea what the book was about. Mm-hmm. End quote.
1: So I love that. I love that he didn't let the bastards grind him down because that feels correct. That at least he went to his grave, presumably thinking. No, no, no. It's about a, an, a ceaseless hunger that capitalism and certain events in your past create in you that can never be filled. Yeah. Uh, They missed the point. I'm glad he knew they missed the point rather than just, you know, going, oh, I guess I did a bad job. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, I like that. Don't read the comments, F. Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then uh, it's also the kind of thing where Fitzgerald was famous and popular going into it, so the book kind of kept getting chances to be popular in his time. There was a, the following year, 1926, uh, producers put on a stage play of it and then Paramount made a silent movie of it all at once. Uh, neither were popular, neither popularized the book. Wow. Then also in 1934, they tried to put Gatsby into the Modern Libraries collection. Uh, it got dropped by 1939 because it didn't sell. Uh, like, like it was like, this is a famous guy who just wrote a new book. We're going to keep trying to give it chances and, uh, apparently in 1937, he was in Hollywood with a new girlfriend and he said, Hey, let me get you copies of my books to like show myself off. And they went from bookstore to bookstore and couldn't find F. Scott Fitzgerald books. He was just not popular enough wow. to be in stores for himself.
1: Yeah. It was a real quibby moment. It feels like <laughs> just all the buildup and expectation following through with the deployment anyway. No one's interested. Yeah, you missed your window. Your window will come when twelve to fourteen year olds are forced to read you a hundred <laughs> years from now, eighty years from now.
0: Yeah, kind of because uh, also uh, even his New York Times obituary, and I, I didn't know they could be this mean. But said just,
1: the Great Gatsby's a dud. <laughs> You're like, and why'd you gotta fit that in?
0: <laughs> it's weird. It the obituary said it was his best book, but it also said mm-hmm. quote the promise of his brilliant career was never fulfilled, end quote. Like what? In his obit in December 1940.
1: What a dunk in your obituary. Yeah. <laughs> Beloved father and husband, we expected more frankly. But, <laughs> yeah, right. But he is dead. We can confirm he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of potential there. A lot of squandered potential there. (laughs) This has been the New York Times. (laughs) That's crazy to me. Wow.
0: Off of that, we are going to a short break, followed by a whole new takeaway. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan, Jesse, Go. So, I had my kids do it.
1: Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them, and then you just stay there, like, like really quiet, and try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring.
0: Because of Jordan, right? Not me.
1: Because of both of you.
0: Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. Well, and I think we can go from there into uh, kind of the answer to why is it around today. Takeaway number two... <laughs> The Great Gatsby is famous today because it fit in the pockets of World War II soldiers. And that's a little bit of a simplification, but the the World War II time period and situation is how this book goes from being basically completely unsold in Fitzgerald's Life Dies 1940 to being the most well-known American novel of all time.
1: Were there just no other small paperback
0: books? Why The Great Gatsby? (laughs) So uh, there were many books that size and shape, and this was kind of the most popular one. And this is, again, Maureen Corrigan, very helpful scholar on this, because apparently armed services editions were created for the troops in World War II, especially American ones. Um, It was a project of American publishers and editors and librarians and paper manufacturers who all had an interest in getting books to the troops as best they could. Paper manufacturers, obviously, self-serving. But the other ones said, hey, how can we (laughs) get some books out to the men on the front?
1: So they were still pushing it. They're like, we still have this backlog of Great Gatsby that needs to get out into the world. And it finally clicked with this Books for Soldiers program, essentially. They tried it as a play. They tried it as a black and white movie. That's amazing, because in a way... The Great Gatsby itself has an endless hunger that can never be fulfilled <laughs> to be read by read. people. The Great Gatsby really wants you to know the story of The Great Gatsby. It seems very important. <laughs> That's, so soldiers, I mean, I. it's not a bad story to read if you're in war because I think it would be comforting. It's almost like how in quarantine, Animal Crossing New Horizons had such a moment. Oh, You'd be yeah. reading about- yeah. Fancy people in the jazz age, their low stakes problem involved that they're rich, but they're not happy, you know, and they have a party, but they wish that uh, other people were here that aren't here. It's like, yeah, I'm getting shot at. This is a nice vacation from what I'm going through. 100%. The Great Gatsby's doings around town. <laughs> I think I get, I totally get that. I'd rather read that than a Catch-22 where I'm like, look, it's too late, man. I'm living it. I signed up. I don't even know.
0: Also, like you said, this is a book that the soldiers did definitely choose to like. They were it was given to them partly because Scribner had like a warehouse of remaindered copies of it, and they knew they weren't making money on it, so why not put it in this thing? But there were more than a thousand books turned into Armed Services editions. They printed one more than one million copies of various books. But by 1945, over 123,000 copies of The Great Gatsby were distributed to troops and all the armed services editions were printed at a size where they were a long rectangle so it was designed to like fit in a soldier's like coat pocket or jacket pocket while they were doing stuff.
1: Oh, it really was a weird shape, not just like pocket sized. It was shaped bizarrely. Yeah, for comfort. Okay, cool.
0: And also apparently the biggest distribution of armed services editions was right before D-Day because according to NPR quote Eisenhower's staff made sure that every guy stepping onto a landing craft in the south of England right on the eve of D-Day would have an armed services edition in his pocket, end quote. And so Gatsby was one of the key books like like on the beaches of Normandy. And then from there the living soldiers would like read it as they worked their way through France and stuff. Yeah.
1: That's just such an interesting textural element to go back and add to the my simulacrum of what World War II was like. That, like that was the popular movie, so to speak, or in the, you know, in the burned out, bombed out buildings in between like skirmishes. They were like, you get to the part about Daisy. yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm reading that, too. <laughs> That's just great to know that that was the thing of the minute during D-Day. Wow.
0: And then uh so that we had this situation where basically the uh, most of the U.S. Army in World War Two reads the book. And then at the same time, you have a New York Times obituary in 1940 saying, hey, this author you've heard of, The Great Gatsby, was actually his best book, which was not the common belief at the time. Like for Mm -hmm. some reason, the unknown obituary writer said this. And then also, back when he published it, Fitzgerald sent copies of the book to several famous writers who he liked a lot to try to get them excited about it. Mm -hmm. And they said extremely nice things about it. But they said it privately and it was published in nineteen forty-five in a collection of Fitzgerald's letters. Uh so you have all these positive notices all of a sudden all at once. And then from there the book takes off and it's it, it becomes a pretty much a huge bookstore hit and everything else by the fifties. Wow.
1: What a roller coaster ride. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And wait, when did he pass?
0: And he passed in nineteen forty.
1: So he just missed it. Yeah. That's Yeah. That's like an F. Scott Fitzgerald story. He died, and like the following year, they're like, The Great Gatsby, the most important book ever (laughs) written.
0: Yeah, I found, we'll link, it's a New York Times article from 1960, and the the title is, Mm -hmm. like, The Great Gatsby 35 Years Later, because that was the timeline. But the writer says, quote, Now ten years later, the obvious values of the book have been reasonably established. There remain few doubts of the greatness of Gatsby. Cause like just just post war all of society was like I'm I'm moving to the suburbs I'm getting a huge Cadillac and and The Great Gatsby is a good book like that's that's yeah, what I think now
1: right. is is life. <laughs> I drink cow milk. I like The Great Gatsby. Yeah. I, like <laughs> <laughs> I am gonna reread The Great Gatsby. That's my major takeaway, <laughs> personally. Yeah, uh, you've got. You've Casablanca'd me on this, where, you know, it's like, (laughs) everyone says Casablanca's good, so you watch it, and you're like, hey, Casablanca's really good. (laughs) I bet The Great (laughs) Gatsby is kind of like that.
0: But And at the same time, it's like, I find it kind of cold. Like, it's still that book that was assigned to me and I was required to be interested in, even though it's worthwhile. It's it's a strange feeling.
1: That's what I meant by that cringy... They feel like aliens a bit. And I wonder if that's the discrepancy in time period or a choice of or affectation of Fitzgerald's style. But, yeah, it almost feels like I mean, I my brain lives entirely in movie land. So sorry, I reference solely movies. But like, uh, you know, Kubrick. Yeah. Feels very I would compare the way people feel in Kubrick to the way Fitzgerald writes people where they're so prim and proper and. The subtext is roiling, and he like you know he understands human emotions because that's what the plot beats are based on, and that's what the characters are motivated by. but they just talk very matter of fact and straight and uh in an inaccessible way, yeah i I guess, from a fuzzy twenty twenty perspective, where I feel like on the whole, people are uh more comfortable openly discussing their emotional state than let's say the thirties <laughs> sure yeah where
0: it's like it is not fitting for a man to cry and things like that yeah Yeah, that's that on i think When well, and uh, i think we can get into our final takeaway which takes us into the modern era takeaway number three almost every modern trend inspired by the great gatsby seems to learn the wrong lesson from the book uh, and we have three main ones here. We haven't really summarized the book for anybody, but uh, I think people know it. And if they if they don't, well, I hope mm-hmm. they'll catch up on why these don't make sense uh, as trends do about it.
1: Yeah, hear me. What are the three? Because I can't think off the top of my head anything that The Great Gatsby has to this day influenced.
0: There's a few here. The the most common one is definitely Gatsby parties, oh. which I have heard of. I've never been to one. Yeah, but. A Gatsby party is more or less you throw a theme party where people wear 1920s stuff and and drink a lot, but people specifically call them Gatsby parties and like celebrate that book as a an art style.
1: Yeah, cocaine sounds plentiful at a party like that. I would imagine <laughs> uh, a lot of gilded things. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I've heard of those always as Roaring Twenty part Roaring Twenties party. I feel like people have sort of. Or at least just in my lived experience, people have divorced the idea from, they call it a flapper party. or yeah. But yeah, that's totally, you're right that Gatsby is probably the crystallization of the tropes that we consider to be, I don't need to learn about the 20s and 30s. I can just picture great Gatsby type stuff. That's the 20s and 30s. Yeah. At least when it comes to rich
0: folks. For sure. And it it also seems like the Baz Lerman movie in 2013 like spiked a bunch of these. We have an article here from The Atlantic mm. called The Sublime Cluelessness of Throwing Lavish Great Gatsby Parties by Zachary M. Seward. He picks out a particularly ironic one where it's a group at of Princeton University students organizing a Gatsby party. The organizer said, quote, it's going to be big, it's going to be grandiose. And then it was supposed to cost more than $20,000 to put the party on... And then Seward points out the kicker, which is that F. Scott Fitzgerald went to Princeton, but then dropped out and really didn't like it there. And apparently he once called it the pleasantest country club in America, end quote, like in a bad way. Right. Like he really hated Princeton. And they're like, time for a Gatsby party. Here we go.
1: Yeah, that's choosing to dress as the characters in the political cartoon that was published yesterday mocking you. And you're like, I like the looks of that. Oh, my name's already on it? Perfect. I will dress as that. Yeah. They're just leaning into it. Wow. (laughs) I bet that was a baller party. I heard Jay-Z was there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not to not to summarize the whole book, but like Gatsby is throwing these parties purely to get the attention of Daisy. Mm-hmm. and is not enjoying them at all and it's a very sad thing in context and it's, it's also a waste of money and there's a lot of like, like over drinking and accidents and stuff happening at them and like like you're not supposed to come out of the book thinking like man I gotta have champagne in that guy's yard like you're supposed to feel other things
1: it's a guy being tricked into thinking that the only way to win her attention is to flex status symbols yeah. and not realizing that it doesn't matter how much he escalates that. That's not her area of interest. So it never works and it just gets more and more desperate and sad. And <laughs> that's fitting. That's good. Princeton guys <laughs> throw on that party. That makes sense to me now. I love
0: it. I also I also feel like the people you know or have heard of who did flapper parties, they probably know all this stuff. They were like, I'm not going to call it a Gatsby party because because Gatsby was a really sad dude. Like I want to have a nice party that's a period piece, which is totally which totally makes sense. Like great, you know.
1: (laughs) I want to wear leather fringe and dance like that. Yeah, Yeah, that's the real. That's all I want. (laughs) (laughs) Say she stuff like that.
0: There's also uh, or there's a couple other Gatsby parties. One of them. Was thrown also in 2013 by the company Airbnb, Mm. uh, and they mass invited the press to a party in East Hampton at a mansion that is on Airbnb, apparently. Um, But uh, Gawker points out that it's like it's it's a it's a PR party, like it's not actually for people to enjoy, which actually fits the book's parties completely because they're not for Gatsby to enjoy. But then it's like uh, still sad for your company, (laughs) like it's not a good vibe, you know. Yeah, terrible idea, Alex. It (laughs) doesn't work at all. (laughs) It doesn't match. There's also one more Gatsby party here, and it's probably like the most famous and documented one. Uh, MichiganLive.com wrote up a Gatsby party that was thrown in Flint, Michigan in 1987. Mm. uh, And it was thrown at the home of Charles Stewart Mott, who was a co-founder of General Motors. And it was then documented in the 1989 Michael Moore documentary, Roger and Me, Mm-hmm. Where he intercut the lavish Gatsby party with people in Flint getting evicted from their homes, because like that's that's another whole yeah. issue with a Gatsby party is just the wealth inequality and so on. Like you don't want to, you're kind of celebrating it by doing the party.
1: Yeah, obviously egregious. That's just over the line. That's ridiculous. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just what it is. Not so great, Gatsby. I have no clever joke because that's
0: ass <laughs> yeah it's pretty, it's pretty dark screw uh, that party yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: two more tra- two more uh, much smaller trend things here one of them it's very gatsby to me because i think it's totally made up and fictional but there's a few mm-hmm. internet articles and the main source here is the new york post in june of 2018 claiming uh the, the headline is "Gatsbying" is the confusing new millennial dating trend That's the headline of the article. They say that Gatsbying is a dating trend.
1: It's when you go on a first date and then pine for the person till you both die, never speaking again. (laughs) Because that would save people a lot of trouble, frankly. It's not a bad system. No, what is Gatsbying, Alex?
0: It is like. Equally strange edits. So the name, the article claims, the name comes from Jay Gatsby's actions in the book, which is what we describe like building up massive wealth, throw a party just to get somebody's attention. Then the New York Post story says, quote, just one difference. Instead of buying a mansion, remaking themselves, and throwing a fancy wild fate, they just post a photo or video on their Instagram or Snapchat story designed to attract that special someone. Think of Gatsbying as a highbrow version of the thirst trap. End quote. Sure. Well, that's just living.
1: Show me a zoom. My, show me a zoomer who has said the <laughs> phrase. Yeah, I'm Gatsbying this guy. Yeah, he's nagging me. I'm Gatsbying him. It balances out. <laughs> I just don't buy it. Yeah, I think you're right that that was just a clickbait title that swept through somehow.
0: Yeah, because and I think the post did it, and then other sites said, "Let's just repeat this story because maybe people will click on the name Gatsby," and. And to me, that is as made up as Gatsby's whole backstory because he's secretly yeah. a guy from North Dakota who's like, who like snuck his way into wealth and his bootlegger and stuff. Like, it's all, it's all just as fake as the book, you know? It's all a trick. And then the final thing here I feel like with the right teacher, it could be good, but also with the wrong teacher, it could be bad. Mm-hmm. This is uh, something that's called My Green Light Classroom Activity. Uh, which is uh, this Atlantic story about Gatsby parties and things. They point out that at the Boston Latin School, which is a grade 7 to 12 exam school in Boston, uh, some students did an activity where the teacher had them write up their green light, which is, uh, in the book, Gatsby is like fixated on the green light on the dock of Daisy and Tom's house, and it's the symbol of everything he wants. So, quote, On the wall of the classroom, students had written their own green lights on a large piece of green construction paper, in the shape of a light bulb. And the green lights included pediatric neurosurgeon, earn a black belt, make it to junior year, become incredibly rich. Now, those are some examples.
1: Then I made them stare at their green lights until they saw their youth fade, having accomplished (laughs) nothing. Then they understood the great Gatsby. Right, yeah. (laughs) That's just such a weirdly dark narrative to turn into that reach for the stars, baby. Right. You're haunting green light. <laughs> the Gatsby never reached. <laughs> That's so funny. Because
0: like I could see a an amazing teacher being like, do this activity and then your goals are great, but also like try to have perspective on things. And if you don't reach your goal, you can still have yeah. a fulfilling life other ways and so on. Or this is a teacher who's just like, Gatsby wanted stuff and you do too. That's the activity. Boom. Like it's it could really go two ways.
1: That's what <laughs> I mean is it shows such a, it's such a basic understanding of The Great Gatsby that I question whether the teacher finished reading The Great Gatsby <laughs> to think that it. W- this is a good idea. Green light. <laughs> it literally could have been a green traffic light and it's just go, go for your dreams, don't stop. But you're like, no, I want to tie it in <laughs> to this 1930s tale of a a, uh, an imposter yeah this 1920s tale of a jazz age imposter pining (laughs) for something he can never achieve (laughs) weird yeah that's interesting that it won't be weird to those kids until they get like four years older and read the great Gatsby (laughs) (laughs) then they'll know (laughs) then they'll be like wait what did that teacher mean by that I'm never gonna get my thing okay
0: (laughs) Dang. Yeah. At the end of the book, Gatsby is murdered. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Doesn't he die face
1: down in a pool, if I'm remembering? Yeah, that's my memory, but
0: I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The auto mechanic, George Wilson, believes uh, Gatsby murdered his wife and comes and kills him. So, yeah, it's a pretty dark ending for Gatsby.
1: (laughs) The teacher was like, Yeah, no, that's what I meant. Mechanics will club you all to death. I I hate teaching. I just want out of here.
0: (laughs) Folks, that is the main episode for this week. My thanks to Michael Swaim for beating on Boats Against the Current, born back ceaselessly into the past with me. Also, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now if you support this show on Patreon.com. Patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic is Ginevra King. I don't think you know the name Ginevra King. You do know the novel that came out of it. Hint, hint, wink, wink, significant other noises. Visit sifpod.fun for that bonus show, for a library of more than a dozen other bonus shows that do have the pages cut, reference to the book, and to back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring The Great Gatsby with us. Here is one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, during F. Scott Fitzgerald's life. Everyone thought The Great Gatsby was a tragic turning point in his career. Takeaway number two, The Great Gatsby is famous today because it was easy to fit in World War II soldiers' pockets. And takeaway number three, somehow, basically every modern trend inspired by The Great Gatsby learns the wrong lesson from the book. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guest. I feel like many of you already follow Michael Swaim. You know who that is. If you don't, I really hope you check out his new work over at IGN.com. A ton of videos, a lot of fun. We'll have a link for that. And we will have a link to Patreon.com slash Small Beans. Patreon.com slash Small Beans brings you all of the videos and podcasts by Michael and Abe Epperson and Adam Ganser and Christian Ramirez and, and many other people who I'm not mentioning because I'm running out of air. <gasps> Now that I've taken another breath, uh, just please support that operation, because they're doing great and fun stuff in so many ways. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. A great article in The New Yorker, it's called The Serious Superficiality of the Great Gatsby. It's by Joshua Rothman. Another great article in The Atlantic, it's called The Sublime Cluelessness of Throwing Lavish Great Gatsby Parties. It's by Zachary M. Seward. And then a fascinating article in the New York Times. It's titled Gatsby 35 Years Later, and it's written by Arthur Mizener in April of 1960. So it is a time capsule of America finding out about this book. So find those and more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken Unshaven by The Budos Band. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand, Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra special thanks to a majority of U.S. voters. You did the right thing. Good job. And then extra different thanks go to our patrons. I hope you love this week's bonus show. And thank you to all our listeners. I am thrilled to say we will be back next week with more Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then.